So today uh, I want to start the next part of our Kingdom of God series. We're looking at the book of Matthew probably forever uh, at the rate that we're going because we're in Matthew chapter 6 still and we're looking at verses 19 to 34 over the next six weeks. And the theme of that series is going to be the priority of heaven over earth. And it concerns, unsurprisingly, the question of priorities. And I think we're going to keep coming back to the challenge, what has first place in your life? What has priority in your life? And it's an important question because what you put first in your life affects everything else. Doesn't it? I mean, I found this out when as a student, I put socializing ahead of studying because people are distraction to me. I prefer to spend time with people than with books. And, uh, and then as you go on in life, you find that there are other problems with priorities, like when you put spending ahead of earning, eating ahead of exercise, or work in place of family. We learn these things. And the problem is with priorities, uh, that you often don't realize where it's gone wrong until some time later. You look back on it and say, oh, if only. And it's, so it's true that what you prioritize has the greatest power and impact in your life. And not to prioritize actually is the, subst- is the stuff of regret. Now, if only I'd studied harder. If only I'd saved more money. If only I'd invested more in the family. Someone once famously said, no one on his or her deathbed has ever said, I wish I spent more time in the office. So Jesus' wisdom is seen in in these verses, and he's very clear about the priority that he wants us to have as Christians, God and his kingdom. That's the priority that we are to orientate ourselves to, to heaven's agenda to invest our lives there rather than allowing our lives to be continually taken up with earth and what's going on here the accumulation of material things and heaven is more than just a place that we go to when we die a place in the sky heaven is tangible and accessible now we've had a taste of heaven this morning we've been reminded of our position in heavenly places as heavenly citizens. But in order to understand this, to grasp this, to, to, to cause it to affect your life, takes a change of thinking for us. And that's what this series is about. And it's going to be rooted in these two well-known verses in the section, and this theme is going to just keep coming back. And it's in Matthew 6, 33 to 34, and it says, Seek first his kingdom, and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has got enough trouble of its own without all of that. That's my words. So I want to take these verses, and I'm going to refer to a few others as well in the section But I do want to try and keep things a bit big picture this week and get this overall theme clear. And then we're going to come back to some of the detail. And no doubt I'm going to raise some questions for you uh, when I speak to you today. But we are going to cover some of the detail in the next few weeks. So, Jesus, we just want to commit this series to you. Even as we start a week of prayer, Lord, I pray that you'd speak to us 
about what we prioritize in our life. And help us to get the priorities in line with your priorities for our lives. And Lord, we just want to bring to you right now all the things we're worrying about, all the things that are preoccupying us, all these earthly things. And right now we want to focus back on you. We want to turn our eyes on you and say, Lord, would you speak to us so that we can get that priority right and all these other things fit into their place. For your glory and for your name, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So that's the the first thing that leaps out at you when you read that passage, or the whole of the passage is this constant command of Jesus not to worry. Do not worry. Now, anybody here like to worry? Is it something that you do? I know it's something I've really struggled with over the years, especially as a young uh, a teenager, I had a real anxiety problem. Some of you know my story already and my battle with that. Couldn't sleep. I had to have pills to calm me down as a teenager. And then God met with me and he did something in my life and changed that whole way of thinking for me. So this is something of my testimony. A person, I, I would describe myself as a person who would worry if there was nothing to worry about. That was the kind of way that I, maybe you can relate to that. And I think you're in good company. There was a church in Adelaide who tried to capitalize on the problem and used it as a kind of a, uh, an outreach to its community. They put a sign on the outside saying, why pray? when you can worry and take tranquilizers. You know, see what they did there? They're trying to, you know, draw attention to the fact, which I think is probably a better notice than the one seen outside a church in Leeds. Don't let worry kill you. The church can help. Uh, (laughs) They tend to be a bit more blunt, don't they, the further north that you go. But this is the first thing I want us to see. Jesus doesn't want us to worry In fact, he commands us not to. And it's repeated several times. In fact, I've been told that do not worry or do not be afraid is the most repeated command in the whole Bible. It's continually throughout the whole Bible. Don't worry, I've got this. Don't worry, I've got this. Don't be afraid, I'm here. It's a continual thing. Which makes sense when you consider what worry actually is. Because you see, worry is just like praying to yourself. You're kind of going over and over things. You're churning things. You're asking, what am I going to do about this? How am I going to cope with this? How am I going to get through this? And your object, the object for your praying, your meditation as you go over and over is you. (laughs) Your object isn't God. I think this is one of the breakthrough things for me because I was na- I'm naturally an anxious or worrisome person. I realized actually if I can change the object of my worry, I can become a phenomenal intercessor. You know, and even now I will wake up in the middle of the night just churning something over and straight away I'm into prayer. Three o'clock most nights I wake up and pray about something. It's become a pattern in my life. And I think there's something to be redeemed in that aspect of your personality. Maybe if you've got that kind of personality, I just felt like that was going to help somebody today. Redeem your worry. (laughs) Turn it into intercession. And do you know what? The worrying stops because the enemy doesn't like people that worry God like that. But I'm always worrying over the church and worrying over you and worrying over different situations. But I'm praying and praying. And so I just hope that helps somebody 
the day. But Jesus doesn't want us to worry. He doesn't want worry to dominate our thinking. And just in case you think or are concerned or worried in any way that he may not have fully covered this, he sets it out for us. And he tells us not to worry about our lives in verses 25, because in 27, verse 27, he says that we don't have the power to add even an hour to our lives. You know, men try and extend their lives and they worry about this, but in the end, it's God who decides who lives and dies. He says he doesn't want us to worry about what we're going to eat or drink. Verse 25, because in verse 26, he says, if God can provide for the birds who have little consequence, then he can do so for us. And we're much more important than birds to God. That's what Jesus tells us. He says, I don't want you to worry about what you're going to wear. Looking around the room, seems like not a lot of people do. No, that's just a joke. It's just a joke. But he does. I don't know why I can't. What is the matter with me today? But he doesn't want us to worry about what we're going to wear. Because in verse 28, he says, look, God's provided much more beautiful clothes for flowers than we could ever provide for ourselves. Yeah. Don't worry, Jesus says. Don't worry about anything that's to do with our physical or material needs, what we have or we don't have. But instead, fix your eyes on God and his kingdom. For as Luke puts it, it's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. It's his good pleasure. He's predisposed to give you the kingdom if you look for it. So is this first place? For you, when things go wrong, when things go wrong, is it the kingdom of God you're thinking about? Is it God and what he's going to do about it? What's your priority? You know, what has priority in your life? Someone um, sat down and decided or worked out typical lifespan of 70 years. What do people do with their lives? What, what, how do things get prioritized? How does it work out? And that might be a good place to start. It's quite an interesting statistic. And here it is in order of priority. Firstly, we sleep for 23 years, which is 32.9% of our lives. We work for 16 years. That's 22.8% of our lives. And then third in line is TV watching which is eight years, 11.4% of our lives. I think that's quite shocking. Eating, six years, quite reasonable. (laughs) Travel, six years. I bet that's more now. Leisure, four and a half years. Illness, four years. Dressing, two years. Really? I know some people that are more than that. Religion, 0.5 years. That's a bit... Interesting, isn't it? 0.7% of our lives are spent on church, if you like. That's the total of 70 years. That's how the average person is reckoned to spend their days. And some of these things like sleep, work, eating are unavoidable. But maybe we need to look at some of those other things on the list because there may need to be a change of priority. But the question isn't so much to do with what we do with our 70 years, but the priority we give to his kingdom in what we do. How does the kingdom override what we do? I mean, take work, for example. 
I mean, it is unavoidable and it must be done. Actually, God has designed us to work. But how do we view our work in the context of the advance of his kingdom? How does the kingdom of God and our day-to-day work affect us? Are we able to seek God's kingdom there? Can we find God's kingdom in our working lives? And I think sometimes, certainly my experience, it's easier to do this for others than it is to do it for ourselves. We can see it in others, say, yeah, what they're doing. Wow, kingdom of God is there. So it was really obvious to me this week, I met up with an old friend of mine. Well, he's not old, but I've known him for a long time. Um, And he's uh, called Chris, and he's got this incredible job. He's a consultant, and he has a very senior position And uh, in the last few years, he started getting invitations from all over the world to speak about the pioneering reconstructive surgery, which has become his speciality. And God's given him incredible favor. He's seeing uh, improvement in his patients more than anybody else. He really believes that's God with him and that the favor of God is on him. He sent me a text uh, earlier on in the week saying, I've just heard that me working here has saved the trust over a million pounds. Has just been some of the things that he's done and some of the changes he's made. And he, and I could just see, I mean, as he's talking about his work, he brings these horrible photos to show me from time to time. I could see that he is literally giving life to people who would have no life at all without his intervention. And he's being sought after and he's been, he's been asked for help. Uh, other medics around the world want to know how he does it. And there's no doubt about it. I can sit there and see there's no doubt about it that God's kingdom is breaking out through his work. And not only that, it's spreading through the world. But often we're not so aware of the impact that we have or the favor that God is giving us because we're not seeing the results that we think we should be seeing. So I've seen all these people uh, that they're better. They've got a life now, but they've not been saved yet. You could ask that kind of question, or I haven't seen any deliverance in my workplace recently, so am I really doing this stuff? For instance, I spent 20 years wasting my life, as I thought, doing a law job. You know, I really battled with this question of the secular and the non-secular. I'm wasting my time. I need to be doing something in church. That's the only way I can do it. That was how I wrestled with it, and... It was only years later when I grew in my understanding of the kingdom, I could begin to see the significance of what I've been doing. Because you see, for example, I worked for a company who specialized in urban regeneration. Urban regeneration, reclaiming of brownfield sites, chucking out pollution and reusing land. So for instance, one of my uh, initial projects was the regeneration of the jewelry quarter in Birmingham, which is part of a much bigger plan for the canals and all that kind of thing. And those are effectively, depends how long you've been around Birmingham, those are pretty much no-go areas a few years ago. And now they're some of the most sought-after, lovely areas. People like to do their Sunday afternoon walk there. And people want to live there because of the regeneration that's taken place. And I've realized as I, you know, I can go and drive around the jewelry quarter. I had a hand in that. I've, I've been involved in regenerating a community. That's the kingdom of God breaking out. But I didn't see it at the time. Can you see it in yours? 
Can you see it in your work? Can you see your own significance and worth in what you do? Well, we need to seek it out. (laughs) We need to look for it. So Jesus says, seek first his kingdom. Seek, look for it. You need to discover it. You need to search to find that small, the smallest of mustard seeds growing in the soil. You need to search to see the yeast that is expanding in the bread. You need to search out the good in everything and everyone. <laughs> That's what it means to seek out the kingdom and to get out over our obsession with the physical world and what results we are expecting and actively search out the invading kingdom wherever it appears. That's what we're to do. That's what it means to seek first his kingdom. We need to seek it first. We need to prioritize that. We need to make this a quest in our lives to seek for God and his kingdom and make that our starting place. Because so often, you see, we look around the world, we look around our lives, and all we see is what's wrong. All we see is what's not working. All we see is where it's failing, where it's breaking down. And we throw up our hands in despair and we're overwhelmed by evil or need or the lack of anything else but looking to see where God's kingdom is growing. We have a negative expectation and mindset because we're not looking for the kingdom. We're looking for what's wrong. It's interesting. I just love that that thing that's come out of Bill Johnson's ministry where he says part of the problem is we don't celebrate what's actually happening and we complain too much about what God isn't doing yet. And the funny thing is that when you start to celebrate what God is doing, the stuff that isn't being done suddenly starts getting to done because it grows. What's your priority? What are you looking for? What are you seeking and, and what is first? And to do this, To have this thinking change requires a mindset shift. And it always does. Whenever it comes to the kingdom of God, whenever the disciples preach about the kingdom of God, you face the call to repent. (laughs) To repent, to, to change the way that you think. You can't see the kingdom of God. You can't be involved in the advance of this kingdom without repentance, without changing the way that you think. Change then how you look at church. Change how you look at other people. Change how you look at our finances, our needs. Change it. We need to look for where God is and where his kingdom is breaking out. We need to train ourselves to look into heaven for the solution so that by prayer and the declaration of faith, we can call heaven down instead of trying to take the problems of earth up to heaven. Do you know what I mean by that? We're so preoccupied with what's going on down here. We're so worried about that. It so takes us over that we try to lift that up and bring that into heaven somehow. Take it to God. You know, it's a heavy thing to lift, the problems of the world. Now, you ever find yourself praying like that? Seeing things that way so that when you pray, you turn to God but you come from a very low place of despair whether, rather than the place that you are seated in. We pray up to God in times of crisis from earth, up to God. We even think of him as being up there somewhere. 
We pray up to him, whereas in fact we are seated in Christ at the right hand of God. So actually we don't need to pray up to God because we're seated next to him. So in fact all we need to do is from that position of authority and understanding of the kingdom, we just need to lean over into Jesus and say, Jesus, that needs fixing, that needs doing, that needs changing, your kingdom needs to come. He says you need to pray every day, everywhere you go, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But we don't pray that from the desperation of earth, we pray it from the position of security and authority in heaven. Do you know who you are? It always comes back to that. Do you know who you are? As we enter a week of prayer, do we know who we are? (laughs) The place that we are seated. So we need to change the way that we think. And then we need to know what we are looking for. Because when it says seek first his kingdom, do we know what it looks like if we were to find it? (laughs) It's all very well, seek first the kingdom of God, and your idea of the kingdom is something that's very, very different from what the Bible says. As I know from my own experience, seeking first the kingdom for me used to mean I'm not seeing anybody saved at the moment. So how can the kingdom of God be here? How do we recognize the kingdom in the world, in our lives, in our circumstances, so that we don't have to worry? Or we can only recognize what we know. Let me just remind you, this is a bit of a reminder because we've done a lot in the kingdom of God, but this is from the beginning of the series. We sort of talked about how to recognize God's kingdom. And as I said at the time, the kingdom of God is pretty hard to define. And I say this, even though Jesus talked about the kingdom continually, but never actually defined what it is. There are lots of hints from his teaching. So take, for example, Matthew chapter 13. Jesus tells us, Get this, see if it helps. Jesus says, the kingdom is small, but it grows very large. It's tiny, but it spreads and affects everything. It's treasure that's hidden in a field, and when you find it, you hide it again to buy the field. It's oh no, it's easy to sow, but it seems just as easy to lose. It's near to hand, but it costs everything to get it. I mean, does that help at all? Paul doesn't help us much either because uh, it seems he's just as enigmatic, although I think he steers us in the right direction when he tells us in Romans 14 that the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. So it's not something that is physical, if you like, and material, but it's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And there's the clue. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God is discernible through a series of characteristics. And the book of Isaiah summarizes these characteristics most easily as deliverance and salvation, righteousness and justice, peace, joy, God's presence, someone is healed, someone is comforted, or people are loved. Those are all characteristics of the kingdom of God. So that when we see any of these things, when we see justice being done, even if it's a government that you don't like, but you still see justice being done, that's the kingdom of God. When you see peace come to a country, to a town, when things are resolved, when, I mean, have you ever thought about how fragile peace is? 
We had a load of motorbikes driving through Solihull a while ago. I was sat on the roundabout in the office looking over the roundabouts. They all drove in. You think how vulnerable peace is. If, if people don't decide that they don't want peace, it would be very hard actually to keep it. And so when there's peace, when we're living in peace, the kingdom of God is breaking out. That's God. There, it isn't possible any other way when we see peace. And when, when there's love, when you feel love, when you're feeling secure like that, it's the kingdom of God. When we experience these things or are instrumental in bringing them into the world or to the lives of others, that's God's kingdom growing and influencing. And these are the kind of results, if you like, that we need to look for. So can you see any of these characteristics in your lives? Can you see them in the lives of others, even in your workplace? Can you see those characteristics coming through in your street, in your family? And are you able to bring any of those characteristics into that place? Because what I've discovered is that if you're aware of the kingdom, opportunities start to open up so that you have the opportunity to bring what's needed into a particular place. Some justice is needed. So we had uh, in my workplace, I can still remember it, but it was a few years ago, but we had a, one of the partners was bullying people, and uh, it was really nasty the way that they would do it. Uh, it was very personal. It was very aggressive. And then I copped it. So I got in the way, and uh, my immediate reaction, first of all, was, of course, I'm a doormat because I'm a Christian, and I just lie down and take it. And then I felt God say to me, no, I've put you in the way to bring justice into this situation. Stand up and say this isn't acceptable. And that's what I did. I actually went through a series then of complaints and bringing this person to account. It resulted in the complaint being taken seriously and me standing up on behalf of my colleagues and that partner being removed from the firm. We have a responsibility to bring the kingdom wherever we are and sometimes that means we have to stand up and bring justice and peace into the workplace. And if you are not finding this, if you're not experiencing this, instead you're finding yourself just worrying, well, first of all, I'd ask you to pay attention to the worrying because that may be God stirring you up to pray about something. But it also could mean that there's, there needs to be a change in your priorities or in the way that you think because you're not seeing what God is doing because actually God's kingdom is everywhere and everywhere and especially because you're there because Jesus says that you and I carry the kingdom inside of us. We actually carry the kingdom inside of us. I thought that was a really good point. Luke chapter 17, the disciple, the Pharisees come to Jesus and they say, where is this kingdom of God then? When's it going to come? And Jesus replied, well, the kingdom of God doesn't come with your careful observation. He's saying to the Pharisees, you don't get this. You don't see this. You're looking for a military campaign. You're looking for something that's not going to happen. He says, people aren't going to be able to say, here it is or there it is, because the kingdom of God is within you. The kingdom of God is peace with God. The kingdom of God is I feel God's presence. The kingdom of God is I can access heaven. 
I know where I'm seated and I can bring that into my community. See, when we do this, when we understand that God's kingdom is within us, when we pay attention to the assurance of salvation that we have, when we experience the joy that's from heaven because it comes from heaven, joy comes from heaven, when we focus on it, when we allow that to rest in us, when we become aware of it, when we cultivate our awareness of his kingdom and that God is with us, when we prioritize that inner witness, then his kingdom will break out through you too. It can't help it. It grows, it's cultivated, it expands. It affects the environment in which you are in. But we have to seek it first and prioritize it and grow in our understanding of it for that to happen. And when we do this, Jesus says, all these other things will be added to us as well, given to us, the material and physical needs. Now, we're going to come back to that. That's in verse 33. We're going to come back to this in the series and look at how God provides and how focusing on the kingdom is so important for that. But I like to think of it a bit like this. It's like when you're doing kingdom stuff, you're on expenses. Do you know that delicious feeling when you're on expenses? And you know that because you're at work and you're traveling or you're eating or you're sleeping somewhere, you don't need to worry about what's in your bank account because the company's going to pick up the tab. It's just a great feeling being on expenses. And you look at the wine list and say, yeah, I'll have that one, any you know, depending on your expense account. Well, that's what it's like, really. That's what Jesus is saying. If you're on kingdom business, if you're seeking first his kingdom, these things are going to be attracted to you because of what you do. (laughs) When you prioritize the kingdom, then the needs that you have will be taken care of. That's the promise of the Father. You don't have to worry about those things anymore because those things are not your priority and those things aren't your security because it's no longer in the material world, but in the kingdom of God's plan for your life. Which kind of means, if you think about it, that seeking God's kingdom is an antidote to worry. The antidote to worry about material and earthly things. Do you agree with me? If I can seek first his kingdom and all those things I don't need to worry about anymore. That's what he's saying. So I want to just come back to talk about worry to finish off and say, how can we ensure then that worry doesn't have first place in our lives? Because that's actually what fights. So as as the kingdom of God and seeking that first is the antidote to worry, worry is what stops us from seeing the kingdom of God. So we need to understand those two things. So how can we ensure that it doesn't have first place in our lives? And this is not a comprehensive list, but I do want to say to you, this is stuff that I've tried and tested and proven. Um, and so I'm not just sharing this. If you're struggling with anxiety, I really do empathize with you. But this is some stuff that God's done and shown me over the years. And the first thing I think in dealing with worry is that we need to get things into perspective. You know, what is it that we are worrying about? How likely is that thing that we're worrying about to have, uh, to happen? And you'll be pleased to know that I have an anxiety stat for you. Here we go. On average, a person's anxiety is focused on 40% of things that will never happen. It, it's a statistic. You've got to believe it. 40%. <laughs> we will be anxious about things from the past, 
that can't be changed. So why bother worrying about it? 12% of things we worry about are the criticism by others, which are mostly untrue. So why do we give it so much headspace? 10% of our worry is about health, which actually gets worse with stress. So by worrying about it, you're making yourself iller. Stop it. 8%, only 8% of what we worry about will be any real problem that we'll have to face. Now, I know that you're looking at 8% and think, oh, my goodness, I need to worry about that now. I need to worry about that 8%. What 8%? What is that? I hope you get the point. We need to get things in perspective. We worry about things that we really don't need to worry about. We waste a lot of time worrying. And actually, one of the clearest things I've found is you just pray. You bring that to God and the, use the worry, worry spirit in my heart to pray, and it soon starts to diminish, I'll tell you that. And the second thing is, so the first thing is to get it in perspective. Why don't you do this as I'm going along, all right? So if you want to close your eyes or something and just bring this to God, what is it that I'm worrying about at the moment? Just think about that. Where does it fit on that list? How likely is that to happen? Do I need to just stop worrying about that? Just just do that in your head for a bit. Just think about that. Just ask God to show you. Holy Spirit, just show us right now. See, in essence, what Jesus is saying, don't worry about the things you can't control, which is the very definition of worry, because when we are not in control, we worry. He says, let me be in charge of that. I am the Lord. Don't worry about the things you can't control. Give them to him. You can't control people. You can't control circumstances always. You may be able to control your money, but mostly it's things that are outside of our control that we worry about. So that's the first one. Second one, so get things into perspective. The second one is that we need to repent of worrying. We actually need to repent because, as we've seen, we're commanded not to worry, and so we need to deal with worry as sin and ask for his forgiveness. Did you realize that, that worrying is actually sinful? So you better repent of it and ask for his forgiveness. And I'd also add to that, renounce some of the lies that you're believing and declare some truth over yourself. Because often it's the lie that catches us and catches us up in, God's not going to look after me. God doesn't care about me. He doesn't know about this. He hasn't got this in hand. He really needs my help right here. We believe lies, and believing the life then leads to the, the lie, then leads to the bondage. So rather than believing the lie, we renounce that lie. So I'm not going to believe that anymore. It's a lie. Name it and shame it, and declare and said, I know that God's got this in, in control. That he's greater than this. He's bigger than this. I can trust him with this. So why don't you just do that right where you are? Don't worry about what the person next to you is thinking. We're not worrying at the moment, so just repent of worrying. Just bring that to God right now. Just mumble it under your breath. Say, Lord, I'm just sorry I've been believing a lie. I just renounce that lie. That you're not big enough to handle this. And I choose instead to believe the truth that my God will supply all of my needs according to his riches. 
in glory. I repent of worrying. I confess that to you as sin. And the Bible says if we confess our sins, then he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Repent of worrying. Okay. Third step. You ready? Don't try and stop worrying. Don't now go and start thinking, oh, I better not worry now because I've had to repent of it. And that means I'm going to have to repent again. And then that means I'm going to, oh. And seriously, if you, it might be a strange thing to say, but if anxiety has been a problem to you, you'll know it's almost impossible to stop worrying. Uh, it's impossible to do it, and you'll just get discouraged and give up. So don't stop worrying, even though it's sinful. Just hold, hang on in here a minute. Don't, re, don't stop worrying. Instead, do something positive with it. So allow the worry to generate something positive. So I've already suggested to you the first thing that's really changed it for me is when I start worrying, I bring in God straight into it. I bring it straight to God and say, okay, God, I can't get this out of my head. I'm bringing it to you now, and you are able to do this. I can't do anything about it. You sort that out, God. I mean, that is one of my often prayers is, God, you sort that out. I can't deal with it. So pray about it. Turn it into prayer. Use it as fuel for the fire of prayer and intercession. That's the first thing. Do something positive with it. Don't try and stop worrying. Turn it into something positive. And secondly, with all of your heart and mind, focus on heaven and where you are seated. Know your position in Christ. So in Colossians 3, it says this, Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, (laughs) and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. So why do you need to worry if you're dead? Think about it. You died. Your life is hidden. You are now his responsibility, raised to new life in Christ. And then thirdly, with all of your strength and determination, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. And literally, that means to throw it at him. Throw it at him like, yeah, I mean, you know how to throw things, I I bet. Give it to him and leave it there. So what happens is we'll we'll give it to God, the thing that we're worried about. We'll throw it at him in, in relief, and then we'll just go back and just check. Hold on a minute. Have you really got that, God? Are you holding that? No, throw it at him. He cares for you. He's going to carry that for you. So pray about it. Turn it into prayer, something positive. Focus on heaven. And with all your strength and determination, throw it onto him. And fourthly, pursue God and his kingdom. Get obsessed with seeking his kingdom. Look for it everywhere. Look for the hand of God in everything and in every situation. Even when it's going desperately wrong, Okay, God, show me where you are in this. You might not have the answer. You might not know how it's going to turn out, but you can always find the kingdom of God in everything because you can find peace in a storm. Or you can find his presence in unlikely places and so on. We looked at the characteristics earlier. And I I just want to say, you know, if you determine this today, if you make that decision, 
it's going to completely change the way that you view the world. If you're looking for the kingdom of God, and if you're looking for God in everything, it will completely change the way that you look at the world. So three and four then, don't try and stop worrying and pursue God in his kingdom. Let me just conclude. So this is the challenge that we're going to just keep coming back to. It's what has first place in your life? What has priority? What comes first? What has the greatest power and impact? Jesus doesn't want us to worry because we're important to him and he cares for us. Instead, he wants us to prioritize heaven and all that is in heaven to be brought down to earth. But we're going to need to seek it. We need to seek it first. We need to decide that. We need to pursue God and his kingdom. That takes a change of mindset, and we need to grow in our understanding of the kingdom. And if you've had a results-based version of where is the kingdom, then that needs to change. You need to start thinking differently, and instead looking for results, the results you need to look for are the attributes of his kingdom, his char- the characteristics of his kingdom in everything and everywhere. And, you know, we don't often see our own significance. So in that situation, you know, I was describing how I look back 20 years and I can see where God was and how his kingdom was breaking out. We don't always see our own significance. I want to encourage you to ask others, can you just help me to see this? Can you just prophesy over me? Can you just declare some good stuff over me about what I'm doing? Because I feel like I'm wasting my life or I'm I'm losing my direction or whatever. And just have somebody minister to you. Uh, because the kingdom of God will even come through the prophetic like that and just bring freedom to you. But see if you can, the other thing to do is to see if you can trace the hand of God in your life over the years and encourage yourself in that. Maybe you can't see it today, but so often Alison and I will, will go back and say, yeah, but remember when we were in a similar situation and we stood together and we said this and then that happened. And some of you got bored about some of our old stories because we still use them. But there's faith there, there's, there's power there, there's authority there. Return to the faithfulness and the goodness of God from years ago and bring it now into the future. That's the kingdom of God in your life, in your life. But Jesus doesn't want us to worry. And I really feel, um, I tried, when I wrote this talk, I was trying to avoid talking about worrying all the time. I just thought, no, I want to bring something really exciting and powerful. And I felt God keep bringing us back to this thing. He says, I don't want your people to worry. I want them not to worry. I want them to see where I am because I'm here. And I'm in everything that they do. And so I think God wants to do something for us about that. I think he wants to do something amongst us as a church to bring courage. You know, that's one of our uh, cultural attributes is courage. And the thing that stops us from being courageous is that we're frightened and we're fearful. So there's something that God wants to do about that. As Esther was ministering to us earlier prophetically, she was saying, I just, I'm, I'm fed up with this, being told that I haven't got the answer. <laughs> I want to break out. I want to break out. Spirit break out. I really agree with that. I think that's the spirit of something God wants to do amongst us in this season.